Hi, my name is Renita, and I am your host of the Be Your Own Kind podcast. My podcast aligns with idea of my blog of feeling comfortable with you. I'm excited to share topics and ideas with you today. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome. If you like what you hear and see, please subscribe to the Be Your Own Kind YouTube channel. And if you're listening to the podcast, please follow me. Also in the description box, you can find my Linktree link to all Be Your Own Kind related matters, such as the BYOK merch, where we sell items from t-shirts, sweatshirts, masks, and mugs. Also, you will find our website and the links to my social media. Also, we are always looking to collaborate with others, such as business owners, vloggers, bloggers, or just if you simply want to share your story. Last but not least, if you are looking to promote your business, Be Your Own Kind will gladly promote you. If you are interested in details, please email me at info at beyourownkind.com. Thank you for tuning in and for supporting the Be Your Own Kind platform. Treasure Glitz customizes stem and stemless glasses, mugs, shot glasses, you name it. I love showing off my personalized glasses. She has customized glasses for personal use and even for the Be Your Own Kind podcast. Customized drinkware is great for standing out at your event or relaxing in style at home. So order your item by calling or texting 708-299-7555. So hello, Carrie. How are you doing today? I am very, very well, Renita. I was just uh, enjoying our two-minute conversation so much right now. I think we've really started with positive energy. I think any conversation that starts with a mutual love of 80s music and books is going to be a good conversation. So thanks for having me. Yes, most definitely. Thanks for being on the platform. Um, I love, yeah, I love how we just started off saying what we admired about the other person. Um, and thanks for looking me up. I really do appreciate that. Um, I, I will say, um, while listening to, I, I believe it was the podcast, um, how you started your life over at 40. Yeah. Like that is so courageous because we get so set on age where we like, well, I'm too old to start this. And I'm too old to start that. And it's like, no, you're you're not too old. You, to, and to death is the only thing that can stop you from recreating yourself. So I was really inspired by that because I am a person that's stuck on, I should have been here at this age. And I'm like, no, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I can keep moving, you know, recreating myself. So I love that about your story. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. And it's a very important place to start because all loving of yourself is about the ability to transmit through this life what and who you want to be and you're not going to do it if you're going to start keep thinking that you're somehow behind in life or you're not measuring up if i can be allowed to go back to the 80s icon the greatest 80s icon renita who i'm sure you will agree was alexis carrington colby on the uh, awesome soap opera dynasty i don't know if you watched it that was a big joan collins fan in fact i'm pretty sure she made me a feminist because uh, she was the badassiest woman who had ever been portrayed on TV. Like there was no one else as mean and as well-dressed as that crazy lady. I heard Joan Collins recently give an interview, 84 years old, God bless her. And somebody said to her, were you very excited about, you know, finally reaching some accolades with Dynasty at your age? And she says, you mean when I was 40? No, I was a baby. And I thought, yeah. 
the thing is, we never consider about like from which perspective, what exactly are you talking about when you talk about how old you are or are you behind? What timetable are you holding yourself up to? Like there's seven billion people on this planet. They're not all in sync with when and what we do in what order. So really, whenever you think to yourself, I don't I don't have the place bracket in life to do X, Y, Z. You have to ask yourself the question, according to whom? Mm. So, you know, it's funny because I talk about it as as it really affected me. I, I remember being like 37 years old and thinking, that's it. It's over. There's no chance for me. I'm never rebuilding my life. I've missed my chance. 37. I'm practically dead. As women, by the way, we're conditioned to think that there is a shelf life and it's that clock starts ticking the day you turn 18. You're right. And here I am 20 years after my 18th, my 18th birthday thinking, that's it. I'm, I'm going to basically fossilize like this. And I was massively wrong from the other side because now I'm in my 40s. I think, what a joke. Like, you can do and be whatever you want at any age. If you have the wherewithal and breath in your fabulous, amazing, God-given body, you go do whatever you want. You've got time. Yeah, and I love that. And that's inspirational. That is so inspirational um, because we feel, I think that's where that whole feeling of stuck comes from. Like, well, this is just me forever. I guess I just better go with the flow of things. And no, nothing's forever. Nothing is forever. And think about what stuck means too. Like the world is still moving, whether you like it or not. So you're not really stuck. <laughs> it's like you're standing on that conveyor belt at the airport, but you're still going to move whether you like it or not. So you can move or you can be moved. You decide. Hmm, I like that. I love that. And personally, I'm that crazy lady who's always cutting past people with their luggage. Like, get out of my way. <laughs> I, I got a plane to catch. Beep, beep. <laughs> oh, God. And, and it's one side. So I don't understand why I know this off subject, but I don't understand why people stand on both sides. There is one side for standing, one side for walking. Why are you on? <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's the, the world went completely crazy when VH1 stopped playing music. I think you and I can agree. <laughs> and people just lost their damn manners. <laughs> Life's been off, off balance. Ever. The second Flavor Flav came on TV, <laughs> we were done. And there's nothing but dating shows from there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you are the founder of With Enthusiasm Coaching. You're an executive coach. Um, what led you to that career? The complete and entire collapse of my former life. That's what brought me to this career. If you said to me, uh, even as a book lover, um, at the age of like 27, would you like to be a coach? I would say, first of all, that's not a real job. And secondly, you've got to be joking. I have real credentials. Um, everything I was going for in life, Renita, was like what everyone else is going for. It was so white pick and fence. It was so what was expected of me. It was so what I thought would make people admire me uh, that it wasn't really a personal choice. I don't think I ever really thought, what do I love? What am I really good at? How do I get to actually exercise all those things together? Much more likely what happened was I did continue to watch MTV and VH1, which obviously led to E, which obviously led to the Devil Wears Prada and the Kardashians. And like they affected pretty much everybody's worldview, they affected mine too. And so in climbing uh, that particular social status ladder, I think I created a life that looked really good on Instagram, but felt like garbage. 
And um, in my mid-30s, I finally started to ask myself, like, what am I even doing this for? It's like Madonna says in her song, American Life, this kind of modern life, is it for me? And it really wasn't for me. The answer was, this is not for me. And that's when I got divorced, which is promptly when I also had to quit my job because I had to move cities. Many people going through a divorce know that this is the upheaval of your entire life. If anyone is out there has been through a divorce, you know that this is a financially devastating event for many people. It was for me. I find myself couch surfing. Now I've done everything right in my life. How am I broke couch surfing and reinventing my life in my mid-30s? And this, Renita, was when I started to do the unthinkable, which was instead of reading, I don't know, the next Dan Brown novel, I started to read Stephen King, uh, Stephen Covey. Oh. I love Stephen King. I started to read Stephen Covey. I started to read Tony Robbins. I started to follow Oprah religiously. Everything that woman says still resonates with me. Brene Brown, I discover out of the blue. I'd never watched a TED Talk in my life. And slowly but surely, these things start to filter through my brain and completely change my attitude. You know, the more you're exposed to ideas like this, like you should love yourself. You are worthy. You can start again. Anyone listening to a podcast like this, whether you see it or not, you are raising your vibration. You don't need to lift a finger. Just listen and watch other people who can, and you'll be inspired to be able to do that too. And as I found myself deeper and deeper in the work, I kind of fell in love with it. And that's when I launched With Enthusiasm Coaching, which was four years ago, which is, by the way, even while I launched it at the maddeningly old age of 40, been the biggest success of my career and the greatest love of my life. Nice. I love that. So you see, sometimes when things fall apart, it's actually a very good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was unexpected because that wasn't part of your plan. No. Like you, said, you were you thought you were already living your plan, the marriage. And I know you lived in Germany and you had a, yeah. a very, you know, um, very great career. And, you know, the quote unquote, you know, dream, you know, and and you you mentioned, I know I'm skipping ahead my own questions, but you mentioned um, that even though it, it, it looked good on the outside and you kind of ignored what was happening on the inside. Like, yes, you had the, the tall husband and, but it yeah. wasn't really nurturing you. You know what I'm saying? No, and, it really wasn't. You're telling yeah. the story so beautifully. I mean, like if anybody scrolls down to like pictures of Karen from 2010, next to the tall guy with the matching tie to her outfit, you think, oh my God, that girl has it figured out. She looks like a character from Dynasty. That was absolutely miserable. The job was like really fine. Honestly, I, I like my former career. It just wasn't anywhere near what I was capable of doing. It's like when you went out on a limb and decided to, to, to dive into blogging, which is something that like so many people don't particularly do, certainly don't take seriously and don't turn into a career, right? right. But you love it and it allows you to capitalize on your actual strengths. So that took real courage to take that pivot. For me, it was the same thing. It was going from like, this is all right, to I want something fabulous. And in the relationship realm, actually, it was way more messed up because that tall guy, as handsome as he was at the time, um, was really abusive, massively emotionally abusive. I was berated and chastised for my weight every single day. It's awful to hear somebody tell you constantly, not that you look nice this evening, but that you could really use some liposuction. And... Um, that your friends are stupid and that your life is not going anywhere and that your career is ridiculous. Like this is just so painful to bear. 
that at some point I started to ask myself, you know what, maybe, maybe it's okay that I'm not asking for more right now, but I definitely don't need to settle for this anymore. Right. And that's when I started to move. I like that. And, and I think that's the decision of no longer living a, um, a facade and a, yeah. a, a quote unquote, I Instagram life, because on Instagram, everything looks great, yeah. but we don't know what happens behind the camera, you know, behind the video, the, yeah, the camera, you know, so it's just, I feel like that's empty. If you're only living to appear like you're living good. It's not true. And most people can't recognize that. Like Oprah calls it a deadened life as if the person living it is dead. I, I've met a lot of people who are living a deadened life. You can tell that they're trapped in the shadows. But they're not particularly aware of it. So I don't think it's a problem. I think it's only a problem when you yourself go to bed knowing that you are in deep anxiety, that this is not comfortable to you, that you can 100% do and be more in this lifetime. You feel jealousy at the sight of other people. You feel miserable. You feel less than. This is, these are constant feelings in your life. You give right. your power away constantly. When you're in that state, I promise you, you know that you're unhappy. We don't need to tell you. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great thing. Knowing that you're unhappy should start signaling to your brain. It's go time. Right. Exactly. We just have to pay attention. <laughs> and speak, speaking of um, feeling uncomfortable, you introduced something I've never heard of, ever heard of before, but I've seen the concept, which was called imposter syndrome. So I looked it up <laughs> and um, and you probably can explain a little better, but it, it's basically associating your success to happen chance and not believing that it was actually attributed to your own potential. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so and it, it also kind of wraps up in that whole idea of being perfect. Yeah. You know, which in my mind is very stressful because that doesn't leave me room for mistakes. It doesn't leave me room to grow. I have to stick to this. I have to be this way. I have to say these things and be this person. And I see that all the time. Yeah. You know, even, even younger, I felt like I had to be what my parents wanted me to be. And then I woke up maybe a couple of years ago, like, what do I want to be? You know, so I found this a very interesting, you know, interesting syndrome. So I just wanted to ask you, like, what what point are you? I think you already mentioned it, but like, what was the moment where you dropped that perfectionist facade, where you you dropped the whole charade? It was the moment that I hit rock bottom and had to ask for help. Hmm. That was a big pivotal moment. Imposter syndrome. Let's be very clear about what this is. It's particularly attributed to women and to minorities because the research indicates that we experience it more frequently than men. This should be shocking to absolutely no one who has ever worked with men um, and or lived with them as I have the great privilege of, of living. Um, this doesn't mean that we have imposter syndrome. It's just like the term have anxiety. I, as a behavioral therapist, do not particularly buy into that because that label makes you feel trapped right. and sometimes can make you feel helpless. That's not the case. You are experiencing anxiety. There are many ways in which you can start to alleviate this anxiety and people can always help you to get better and better and improve with it. Not only does the research indicate this, so does my practice. So first and foremost, imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern that occurs very frequently in high frequency over 70% of the time, uh, affects over 70% of women and minorities in particular. And it is 
what you just beautifully described. It's the feeling that even though you can see evidence everywhere, you have plaques, you have certificates here saying you are good. You did this. You still don't believe your own success. You do something really well and you're like the last person to congratulate yourself. You step off a TED stage after killing it and you go, was I okay? Did I do good? And you don't believe anybody who gives you a compliment. And you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like someone's going to discover you or something. Now, most people in my experience know this feeling. And this is because we are conditioned into shaming patterns from the ages of two onwards. That's okay. Our parents are well-meaning. Our teachers are well-meaning. And the reason uh, you can start to really work with it rather than against it, not let imposter syndrome really factor into your life, is by identifying it as four different states. The first is know-it-all syndrome. Mm. You know some know-it-alls? Yes. I know that. I, I know that already. You don't you don't have anything to teach me. Or the people who like not along with you, like they're the actual expert and you're like doing them a favor by right. what they're saying. Number two, the perfectionist. You're absolutely right. There is no such thing as perfection. It's ridiculous. But the perfectionist is constantly trying to measure with a measuring stick how the things should be. And then to measure themselves up against that stick of how things should be constantly perfecting this, this, this themselves. And the reasoning for that is if I stay perfect, if I stay in line, if I marry to the right kind of person, if I look the right way, if I do things the right way, if my food is always amazing, if my children are well dressed and if everything I ever put out goes amazingly well on Instagram and ends up on the Forbes list. I will not be ridiculed. I will never suffer rejection. And everybody's always going to admire me. You know what? That doesn't work. Just check out Hilaria Baldwin. I understand that she's an extraordinary example of actual fraud. But perfectionism doesn't exist. It simply doesn't exist anywhere. Anywhere in nature. And so... And it's also antithetical to the growth mindset. So you can't really grow from there. You can't improve from there. You can't do big things from there. You don't take any risks. Right. The third is defeatism. Defeatism is, is real uh, imposter syndrome in the negative senses. And I won't even try it because I know that I'll fail. And I probably, everybody's told me that I'm not good enough all my life. So they're probably right. So I don't deserve to be in this room. Now, believe it or not, even Michelle Obama has described feelings like this, like being afraid to walk into rooms filled with men who she thought was were absolutely brilliant, like the G12 summit and whatever. And then she said, you know what happened after I spent time in those rooms? I realized they weren't that smart and there was nothing to be scared of. Isn't that the best thing you've ever heard? I hope everybody thinks of that the next time they walk into a, a boardroom with people they're scared of. You know what? Start thinking they're a little more scared of me than I am of them. And that's true. And the fourth and the last one is kind of surprising. And that is, in, and this is my particular take on imposter syndrome, and it's workaholism. Many people suffering from imposter syndrome, experiencing, sorry, experiencing imposter syndrome will manifest it as workaholism. And that's because of the deep-seated belief that if I don't work all the time, everything's going to fall apart. And if I don't work all the time, then obviously I'm not being useful. And if I'm not being useful, clearly society will not value me. So these are these are really, really toxic patterns. And hopefully if we experiencing if we experiencing find ourselves experiencing them regularly, we can start to identify them and work away from them. 
because they're definitely in your way. If anything I just said resonates with anybody out there, pay attention. Not good for you. Yeah, I, I definitely um the work workaholism. Yeah. <laughs> because cuz we're I don't know if we're just conditioned like you got to always be in movement and I always say movement doesn't always equal progress. You could just be moving in a circle. Yeah, that's Not exactly right. Any, any footprint. I want to tell you a hilarious a hilarious story about that. I remember when I was a little kid, my grandma would come over to the house and she would always insist on cleaning cuz she was insane. And she would like push the vacuum cleaner around. We had one of those weird vacuum cleaners that tracked things, you know, like old school Hoover. And she'd just leave tracks everywhere. And the reason was because that lady kept forgetting to plug in the vacuum cleaner. So she works really, really hard for an hour and she only makes the house dirtier. That's exactly the point with workaholism. You're right. More work does not equal more success more productivity it actually doesn't make any sense if you think about it if more work equals more productivity then jeff bezos must be working 100 million times harder than me and i doubt that <laughs> i really doubt that so it doesn't make sense we got to we got to get our thinking straight it's all about balance though right yeah. karen like you know work and play you got to take that moment self care you got to include those things in life because i don't want to look up and just existed. You only get one life. <laughs> But the only way you get there is by curing imposter syndrome moments and you can only do that by truly understanding that you deserve your success. You deserve good things. It's like uh when El Woods in the great movie Legally Blonde gets asked, "You go to Harvard?" and she says, "Yeah, like it's hard." Yeah. That's the attitude we should all have. rather than oh my god did i do okay am i do i deserve to be here yeah i'm supposed to be here yeah and and you made a point about it being very prevalent um it's prevalent in everyone but more more so in women and minorities and i feel like um as an african american woman is like you it seems like you have to work harder and you still kind of get a crumb of the pie not a whole slice you know so you're working hard for that slice to feel like you fit in and i think last year was very disheartening with all the events that happened yeah. last year and it really took a toll and i don't think it just took a toll on blacks i think it took a toll on everyone you know like there's this is no matter what i do no matter how successful i am no matter how upstanding i am i'm still labeled as this thing yeah so i can see how um how that adds extra stress two women and and yeah. two different cultures when they just they just want an equal slice it's it's not when it's not like we're asking for the entire pie just want to be a part you know um so i can see how that's that's prevalent you know i completely like, understand what you're saying um yeah, no. my feminism has been triggered uh into hyperactive disorder levels because of the wonderful uh mini series Mrs. America on Hulu which portrays Gloria Steinem and Shirley Chisholm and really the huge pioneers of the feminist movement in the 70s versus Phyllis Schlafly who was basically the Donald Trump before Donald Trump um in the 70s and um why the reason it resonated with me so diff- so impactfully was because starting in September you remember that big number 900,000 women left the workforce in one month and yeah. then they continue to move and move out of the workforce we are now we are now back 
at 1988 levels of participation in the workforce. Now, I can't identify with you as an African-American woman, but I can certainly identify with you as a woman. And I know what you're talking about. So I don't think that it's not real. I do think it is 100% real. We are still working. And actually, because of our rise, the backlash is so fierce. They don't like white men, particularly of a certain age, are not particularly happy about the onset and the influx of incredible power that women have gained. Women made incredible gains. By 2012, 15% of American women were the high earners in their household. This was unheard of in the 70s. That's why Alexis Carrington on Dynasty was such an anomaly. No one saw a woman like that who had a male assistant and rocked it and ate caviar. Today you have Oprah, you have... Uh, Carly Fiorina, you have Catherine Power, you have real CEOs all over the board and the spectrum. And that's real exciting to see, right? Well, yeah, it is. It, yeah, is. it is. It's also going to mean a lot of backlash. So what can we do? We can do two things. The first, Renita, is focus on the good as much as possible. For example, it's not that bad. I'm not kidding. I know that that's not 100% true. It's a gentler way to feel. It will make you less reactive and more collaborative. Um, there we have made progress. And by the way, in yeah. my lifetime, in my lifetime between the eighties and now, like, I know that a lot of my millennial and Gen Z, uh, sisters do not remember this, but I'm telling you, it was real different in the nineties for a woman to say that the house was not as important to her to manage as her own career and self-actualization would have been met with booze, with booing. It was in Oprah's own audience, for example. And today, this is an understanding, self-actualization first. That is progress. So focus on wherever we have made progress. Ask yourself how we can expand more because we will capture more people with light than with scaring. And the second thing that I think that we can do is band together. We really are all in this together. Yeah. We can't segregate ourselves. We cannot shame each other. We cannot feel like we're on opposite. Anywhere you see progress, applaud it, support it, and band together. It's always important for all of us. Amazingly enough, I watched Megyn Kelly speaking. I think she's always controversial. And, you know, she's a conservative. Uh, I'm not. I'm a progressive liberal. Mm -hmm. So I really can't stomach almost anything she says. Um, especially since she doesn't like the word feminist. But last week on Bill Maher, she was just a little less annoying. And I kept thinking, you know what? At the end of the day, this is still a voice that is powerful. And for some reason, it's less divisive to the other side. So I'm still going to be kind of okay with it because the representation is important. Now, again, I know that that doesn't, we, we really like to label people and identify them as pro or against us. Right. But if we look at the large spectrum of humanity overall, uh, this is not an unuseful person. And that's what I mean by that. I like that we all can contribute to it, even yeah. if we have different views. Um, at the end of the day, she's still a woman. You know, it's a funny thing. Actually, I think a better example is because I'm obsessed with the crown. I really am obsessed with the British monarchy. It's such a weird family, right? <laughs> and uh, Margaret Thatcher was in the last season. Now, okay. Thatcher is about as controversial and divisive a figure as ever there was. A conservative to end all conservatism. Reagan with a lot of hairspray, basically. But as much as I massively disagree with trickle-down economics and her particular philosophy and her way of leadership, 
You can't argue with the fact that she put Britain back on the map. She ruled for 12 years. She was extraordinarily effective at her job in many respects. And she was the first woman and only woman in parliament up until that point. Now that is, you know what I mean? Like you can't not respect that. You can't not be like, all right, I'll take it. Right. Right. It's still inspirational. I, I feel like sometimes you have to separate the personal <laughs> views and yeah. look at the part, look at the actual person and what they're doing. And we get caught up in that. We get caught up in people's words. We get caught up in people's viewpoints. And with that, you can miss things like like what you're mentioning, like the mm-hmm. accolades, the, you know, the, the accomplishments, you know, and, and the progress that was made. With her being the only woman at that time, that's a lot of progress. That's a footprint, you know? So. That was a big deal. That was, I mean, after, in, in my country, I'm from Israel, Golda Meir, um, also controversial figure. And so many people always make fun of her appearance. Like, that's freaking relevant. The woman was a badass. I, I know what kind of society she grew up in and she was doing this in. It was amazing what she did. An incredible accomplishment. And we have to give a little bit of respect to that by knowing two things. That is, number one, that we're all in this together. Right. Ultimately, progress is progress, period, the end. And number two, that we're, mu- we're much more alike than we're unalike. We really are. And I hopefully agree. we'll get back to that and we'll stop with the shaming and the cancel culture because I think that middle ground is just a little bit more relaxed. <laughs> Forget rational, not rational. It's just a little bit more chill. And chill usually, and I say that as a progressive, it more chill gets more done. I agree. I the cancel culture actually irritates me because I'm like, if we cancel everyone, what are we gonna do in our spare time? We can't watch anybody, listen to any music. I <laughs> agree. Plus, like, who amongst us, and I really mean this, who out there has never made a mistake or said something stupid? Right. <laughs> like I grew up in the eighties. Are you kidding me? I don't even I have no recollection, thank God, of crap that came out of my mouth, but I really can't imagine that it was always sanguine. Right. And and then now, but now you make a good point. They're going back in the past and pulling stuff that people said like 20, 30, 20, 30 years ago. Like, no, you're canceled. But 20, 30, 20 to 30 years ago. It's like, yeah. it's And, and you know, I kind of understand it. Like I, I was uh, with an Uber driver who still hated Joe Biden for something he voted on in 1994. Now, I completely understand that if the incarceration of minorities... Uh, and and of course, the, the extraordinary disproportion affected you personally. You'd have a really hard time working through that. But I also want to remind everybody that it's been 30 years. And people change. Right. And that's the beauty of life. That's actually the whole point of what we teach here. In, in, in Be Your Own Kind, in the universe of positive psychology, you can change. And if you believe that you can change, you have to give other people that grace too. That's true. That's true. And I feel like in the midst of, ch- of changing, the biggest thing to get over is people's opinions because you see your change and people, I think people that have known you further out, people that like like family members and old friends, they're the ones that may ignore the change or still pinpoint you as a, as a person you were yesterday and not today. And I think that's when change gets discouraging. I want to tell you about something yeah, that, that really impacted me. Um, there's a book called Rising Out of Hatred by Eli Saslow that I, Eli Saslow, um, that I read a couple of years ago in the middle of the Trump administration because um, as a Jew, I was becoming extraordinarily alarmed by 
And, you know, the Jewish people have never been attacked more than during the four years with hate crimes and hate speech um, against the Jewish people um, in the uh, then during the uh, Donald Trump administration. And so I became very interested in the in the Ku Klux Klan and what they stand for and why they think the way they think. And I, I read this book called Rising Out of Hatred about this guy who was a former KKK guy and came through it because a rabbi's family took him in and started to show him that we're actual human beings who are really nice most of the time and not there to kill you or take your things. Right. And um, I was deeply impressed by the transformation that he made. Not only did I understand why they were so afraid and needed somebody to blame, which is never okay, but really important to just frame ourselves around. They are terrified, terrified. That's why they're so, so hateful. And when you get to that position and see that people can individually make that transformation, you start asking yourself, how can I be more part of the individual allowing of people to find that salvation? Hatred is an awful burden to carry in this lifetime. How can I offer that grace? It is a very hard thing to do. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Ultimate Bible credence. Very, very hard to do. Yes. But I think that if we can all at least aspire to it just a little bit more in our day-to-day life by, for example, not commenting on every single post that annoys you, you will start to make progress in your life. Yeah, and I'm and glad you have that fun. understanding. Um, but anything, you, as you know, I, I just steer away from the KKK because they are frightening. <laughs> but I mean, you- I, I don't say I'm not. Let me be clear. <laughs> I do not even a little bit empathize with them, yeah. even a tiny bit. I do believe that they are much more prevalent than we thought they, they were. Yeah. Which is freaking terrifying. And um, I, I personally don't think... I don't know about you, but I never felt scared for my life. And I'm telling you that if the administration had won again as a Jewish person, I would not feel comfortable. Yeah, I um, I, I'm more so fear for my husband when it comes to things like that. You know, um, I feel like um, and we're probably veering off a little bit, but I feel like the black male like yes yes the women you know we have our but i feel like they're just being attacked on all different directions you know to the point where you're afraid to drive from work to home and praying you don't get pulled over something as simple as that you know what i'm saying and and i don't know i just feel like they just they just yeah. are totally attacked. And that's why it's important for them to be paired with someone that they can be vulnerable with. It doesn't have to be a, a romantic relationship per se, but you know, supportive family members, supportive friends, yeah. someone that they can be vulnerable to. And that goes back to the stress added, you know, by society. Not mm-hmm. even mentioning you know, the stress in life, not being able to pay for this and not being able to fill out your, you know, fulfill your goals and dreams. So you already have your personal stresses, but yeah. then when you step outside the door, you are pretty pleasing and pleading to God, hey, I would like to walk back in this door. You know, when, you that, know is a, that is a word. that is that's frightening. That is a chilling testimony, chilling. And everybody should listen to that and everybody should take it very, very seriously. And I think that we have to understand that this is the situation and the circumstance, which means we have to band together and we've got to be better than this. Yes. 
We really do have to be better than this. I think if anybody standing by observes anything like this and is enjoying privilege, which we have all, I think, come to understand, the, those of us who are white, we have to stand up and intervene and use our privilege in defense of, in support of, in elevation of. Just as once, men stood up, some, not a lot, for women and for women's rights. Right. And I love the fact that you said privilege, because I think that that's the misconception. We're not privileged. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you and, are. And no one's hating you for that. It's just what you just said. Could you use the privilege to help us out a little bit or to leave? You know, I, I think or empathize. I get criticized a lot for bringing up the Holocaust because it's such a nightmare of a situation and, and such a dark period in history. But You know, when I was a little kid in the 80s, aside from watching a lot of VH1 and reading books like you, I thought really deep thoughts like, why the hell was only one family in Holland hiding Jews in the attic? Why? Why, why did you not read about this all over the place? Right. Because most people were terrified to stand up. They were terrified to stand up. Not only were they following, but they were afraid to stand up when they saw that what was happening was horrific. Yeah, that is the epitome of not acknowledging your privilege. The fact that you get to sleep at night in a in the comfort of your own home and your neighbors have been yanked out in the dead of night. This is terrifying to me. And I really hope that we we realize and that's what all of these conversations really. This is not a tangent, Renita. When we really understand who we are and we develop empathy, not sympathy. We don't feel sorry for empathy. Understand right. the feelings of other people. Understand that we are living in a society. This benefits all of us. We are right. human beings. We are better than this. We start behaving better than this. And you know what? That leads to real freedom. The freedom of the heart. There is no better way to feel in this lifetime. Right. And I, total, I totally agree with you. And I'm glad that you brought up the Holocaust. Because the, the, the most annoying thing is when minorities try to compare... Uh, painful experiences no it's all bad it's all bad <laughs> it's all That's, bad it's all bad well the, the holland the holocaust it was worse than slavery no it was all bad that's why i agree <laughs> with you saying we need to band together <laughs> in what have... respect the holocaust I, come on you can't compare like that's like comparing dying by arson to dying by poison you know what right. it's not comfortable either way <laughs> It was horrible either way. And, exactly. And why are we comparing pain? We We're be, not. We You're be only healing together. By by in by state of nature, the analogies are never perfect. Analogies are never flawless, but they are there to convey a sentiment. And the sentiment here is solidarity and the understanding that if you are in a position to do something that is privilege. It's an honor. Right. And you can use it for good or you can squander it by not doing anything with it. And that is privilege in the negative sense. So why don't we all, instead of shaming, and, and that's why I think people are getting defensive, right? Like they, they feel shame. Don't feel shame. Instead, feel accountability. Feel a little bit of a personal calling. Feel an opportunity to rise. Those are good feelings, not bad feelings. Right. Exactly. Imagine, well, for example, if Governor Cuomo, who is now accused with uh, sexual harassment and misconduct, instead of 
let's see how the 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 investigation goes said or or my my actions and conversation were misconstrued said i'm deeply sorry i'm deeply sorry i i would love to see this as a i i didn't think of it maybe that way but i'm going to use this as an opportunity to reflect and now i understand that we're all becoming maybe a little too apologetic in cancel culture and that's what the turnoff is but the opposite is being not very evolved right right and just saying oh you know <laughs> no accountability that the lack of accountability and anything yeah. like that aggravated me even if that wasn't your intent you know, at least acknowledge you hurt the other person. I always argue that, like, even if you unintentionally hurt my feelings, yes. if I bring it to you and you care about me, wh- why not apologize? I don't know. Of that's, course, that's unless there's a shaming in, in, in involved, which, again, if you read the right. work of Renee Brown, you'll understand that you're pushing the person into a defensive position. Right. But Anita, I'll tell you what, my, what ultimately encourages me. At the end of uh, Mrs. America, uh, the Gloria Steinem character is alluding to a passage that Steinem herself wrote, which is maybe I won't see the progress now. The, 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 the patterns of patriarchy have been solidified over tens of thousands of years. They will not be undone in a couple of years. And as a, as a result, the Equal Rights Act doesn't get ratified until 2020, which is unbelievable, by the way. She said it would take at least 40 years. So I understand that the progress you and I are seeking, social justice, Equality for women, real equality for women, not equality, but we're never going to give you maternity leave. Right. (laughs) And we're not going to pay you the same, but equality. (laughs) Um, I know that that's going to take maybe even more decades, but it will happen. Yeah. Because times are changing. And as Martin Luther King once brilliantly said, the arc of history is long, but it always bends towards justice. This is true. Yes, yes. And we have, we have veered all the way off, but I love this. It's a good <laughs> conversation. It's a good yeah. conversation. I love this. I love this. I don't, I, what were we talking about? Imposter syndrome? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, all I can tell you is the, the longer I live, the more chill I get about this, because I know, like, for example, in the state of Israel, you know, we can have as much fighting about the Palestinian subject as we want, but demographically, things are changing whether you like it or not. So right. the world progresses whether you like it or not. Change happens whether you like it or not. Oh, you're not cool with non-binary? Congratulations. It's 2021. Deal with it. So right. all of these things are just really starting to become um, a very different shift in time. And we can really relax about it a little bit more. It's very uh, uncomfortable to observe injustice, but it's more comforting and more proactive to understand that overall we are on the up and up. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, and to just circle back, um, I guess to kind of what we were talking about before we got into this awesome conversation, um, w- women, we were talking about how um, the thinking of um, perfectionists and having to be a boss. And I don't know if you've noticed on social media how it's this superwoman era now, like like where the woman has 50 million hands and she's do- <laughs> like she's doing so much, you know. Yeah. And I don't really agree with that because I feel like when do you stop and breathe? You know what I'm saying? So what advice do you have for women that just cannot break out of this superhero mode? If you are serving everyone, you are serving no one. 
I remember thinking that I could do everything. I could do it all. You know, Whitney Houston told me so. It's not true. You will exhaust yourself. You'll burn yourself out very, very quickly. It's not attainable. And it's also not very productive. I also think that it's part of what's turning people off from hustle culture. If the trade-off for, you know, hustling hard and being a girl boss is never having any downtime ever, I got to be honest with you, that's not very appealing to me. And um, we have seen through this pandemic just what costs we're talking about here. We've seen what it's like to try to run a career, any career, with children trying to Zoom learn in the next room, if you're lucky, and try to still have some semblance of freedom in this lifetime. Right. It's very, very important for us to all set our priorities straight again, to ask ourselves, who are we and how do we want to live? I know that these sound like very indulgent questions. They're the most important questions you will ever ask in your life. Who am I? What matters to me? How do I actually want to live? And how can I create some semblance of that every day? Because mm. it's a daily thing. You are correct. Yes. You can't make this decision for five years life and God will dictate that for you. But you can definitely wake up with the understanding that these are the things that matter to you today. This is how you would like to feel. And here's how you will optimize for it. No, you will not control all the circumstances. But the more you do this, more carefully you do this, and the more you believe you deserve it, that's imposter syndrome is the opposite, right? The more you believe you deserve to have a life that feels good to you, the more you will act and line up with that. My life completely changed the day I decided that I don't have to live like that. I don't have to live by anybody else's standards. And I made some really hard, critical choices. I, I still speak in a way that is very controversial to people. All right. Sorry about that. All the best, Karen. <laughs> I get to be who I am and to live the way I want to live. And that's the only thing that matters. If you are harming no one and you are elevating and uplifting most of the souls that come in contact with you, you are doing God's work. So just choose that. You'll be fine. I love that. That, Karen, is what Be Your Own Kind is all about. Yeah. You I have know. definitely pinpointed. Um, I I just feel, especially in this whole social media culture, that everyone, I'll say it again, everyone is trying to mimic their life by what they see that's posted. And you don't really know what's happening behind closed doors, nor is it our business. What is our business is what we do with our life and what we want to do. You and know, that's the only it, thing you can affect anyway. You know, Mother Teresa right. once br brilliantly said, if you want to change the world, start with your own family. Right. Your family's chaotic, but you outside your family trying to fix another one. That's backwards. Oh, it, it is backwards. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm a suicide counselor. I work, uh, I volunteer with Crisis Text Line and uh, I, I volunteer at several um, rehabilitation centers for women who have also survived abusive relationships. And um, we really are all so much more alike and so much more impacted and get dragged into so many situations that lead us to deep depression and deep self-harm because of this incredible constant trying to impact the outside world and line up with the outside world. You know, you could spare yourself an enormous amount of misery by really believing in you and what you want and lining up with that first. Yeah. And that's what every mother out there should be doing now. 
put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on the children because you will not be able to serve them if you die. What a point. <laughs> I had to stop and think about what you just said. It's true. Yeah, it you, is. <laughs> you know how much time you have to put that oxygen mask off before you die? Like a few minutes. So if you're taking the time to put it on the kids first, what what how exactly did you help them? Right. Now they don't have a mom. <laughs> exactly. This is why really it's not selfish. It's not selfishness that I'm teaching. It's self self interest in in enlightened form, enlightened self-interest for the good of others. You must serve yourself. And and this segues into the next topic you wanted to speak of, which was detoxing. I never thought of detoxing in the sense of men mental. You know, it's always been, you know, you, you, you eat, you do the apple cider vinegar, you eat the fiber. And it's always a physical thing before I get too graphic, but it's always a physical detoxing, right? Yeah. And then you come across the, well, I came across this, um, this term maybe several years ago that kind of just put me in the mindset of you know eliminating crazy thoughts and it was like metacognition i believe is the name of it yes. like can you tell me that i can actually choose what i think i can actually choose what thoughts i want to entertain you know and i feel like when we have these these constant flux of thoughts just going through our mind we feel like we have to think them all that we have to believe them all but we actually have the power to choose you know, um, and I feel like that's a part of a mental detox is throwing out what you don't need, throwing out the access and keeping the thoughts that are beneficial and constructive for you. And my question to you is, how do you get to that point? Like, how do you get yeah. to that point of knowing when to dispel or accept, you know, the thoughts that are floating in your mind? Well, you asked and answered the question brilliantly. Oh. Detox, obviously, is a talk. Uh, you know, it's it's a term that's associated with uh, all forms of cleanse. Uh, when my when my mother, my mom was diagnosed two years ago with stage four cancer, and she had to start thinking about what she was eating in order to heal, because many of the things that she ate were causing inflammation in the body that were not going to be beneficial to her treatment. I'm very happy to report, by the way, that Mrs. Eldad is cancer free today. Um, so yeah. It does work, uh, even though I would give up coffee if you actually threaten my life. The same concept does apply to thoughts. We do actually put a lot of toxic thoughts in our body that just like sugar and caffeine, my beloved caffeine, and I don't know, whatever people are talking about right now, gluten. I don't know. Tom Brady says tomatoes are toxic. They can cause inflammation in the body. They can really start to pile up and they will ultimately cause you to not experience optimal health. In the exact same way, you know, people who are constantly thinking things like, I can't get ahead. Everything is rigged. Everything is awful. I uh, can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just ate that. That person doesn't like me. Now, when you think thoughts like this, maybe one, two, every now and again, not a problem. But when you think them constantly, they become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Not only are you wandering around the world like a curmudgeon, but you are attracting, you know, people who spill coffee on you at the airport. Like bad things actually start to happen to you. I can prove it. <laughs> Have you ever walked into a meeting or a, a, a party in a really awful mood and noticed 
how quickly people don't like you. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. So you really don't want to live in that. And the, the secrets to starting to hack that and to move into what we call metacognition. Metacognition is the ability to observe your own thoughts is by understanding something pretty basic. The thoughts are not thinking you. You are thinking the thoughts. Hmm. What do you think? You're just receiving them from some spaceship? No one is broadcasting them at you. I don't care how many subliminal Coca-Cola ads we're getting. We are thinking our own thoughts still. I don't know how much Facebook is going to advance, but for now, I'm thinking my own thoughts. And if I understand that, then I can start to observe my thoughts. And there are really only five categories of toxic thoughts. Judgment. Negativity. You know, people who say the economy is really bad without even thinking about whether or not it applies to Jeff Bezos. Number three, insecurity, thoughts of deep self-hate, especially. So many of us are so mean to ourselves in our head. Number four, blame and resentment. In the world of toxic thoughts, these are actual poison. And finally, impatience, the millennial favorite. I don't know about you, Renita, but I still remember a time when you had to wait eight weeks for a package to arrive. Today... You think about it and Amazon's already delivered it. That is true. That is true. You know, I'm a millennium on the cusp. I try to tell people that like, I'm still over there with, uh, what is it? Generation Z, I believe. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I can wait. Like I still mail. Oh, you mean Gen X, the old people. Is it, yeah, I, I get mixed yeah, up. Gen X now. is above you. And then we have the Xennials. That's, that's me. That's 1977 and 1983, 1984, something like that. Yeah. And then below you is Gen Z who definitely don't know how to wait for anything at all but the email point is, wasn't a thing for me like email didn't come until high school for exactly me. so right. if you you're that you're definitely in my experience of life which is we really kind of practiced boredom empathy and waiting until right. we were in our teens these are wonderful qualities by the way i highly recommend them to any young person out there the most important thing to start to understand is when you recognize thoughts like this I know what's going on already. I'm going to judge that mom for losing it at Target. I uh, definitely think that the economy is bad and I can't start a business right now. And there are no men out there. I am not good enough and everybody can see it. I never forgive that person. I can't forgive that person. Or I want it now. Where is it? Wherever you are on the spectrum of those thoughts, just start to understand that you are taking tiny little doses, doses of poison. And you must start to observe those thoughts and ask yourself just three basic questions. Number one, is the problem the problem? Or is my reaction with judgment, insecurity, doubt, resentment? Is that the real problem? The answer, by the way, always your reaction. Hugs, Karen. Number two, is there any other way to see this? For example, perhaps something that hasn't materialized yet that you're like, really, I want it now. Maybe it's sparing you. Maybe it's not supposed to be for you. Maybe it's bad for you. Or maybe it's coming and you're just killing it with your doubt. And number three, what is the opportunity here? What's the opportunity here? Well, I don't know. Maybe, for example, to find out something I didn't know before. To get something even bigger than I was hoping for. In forgiveness, 
instead of resentment, the opportunity is always to let yourself off the freaking hook and let yourself live your life. It's never about forgiving them or letting them off the hook. It's always about peace for you. So the point is, if you could just ask those three questions, is the problem the problem? Is my reaction the bigger problem? Yeah. Is there any other way to see this? And is there an opportunity here? If you can get through those three questions, you are in the universe of metacognition. You are observing and analyzing your own thoughts. And if you can do that, like any good trial lawyer, you will usually be able to make your case and get to the other side. It'll change your life. It changed mine. I gave a whole TED talk about this. Man, is that the one know what you don't know? Or did you do another one? You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you don't know and I literally know. teach that it's called the pause principle. And I always say like, just find 15 seconds in any moment where you feel triggered. Yeah. Just ask those questions. You will come across as a much better at arguing and B, you'll be more calm. Yeah, calm I, I love that talk. <laughs> you say the lady. The lady's kid was beaten. Yeah, the lady's was kid was kicking the back of my seat. And this is a great example. I tell a story in that TED talk about a lady whose kid was kicking the back of my seat to the point where I was like, we have got to throw this kid off the plane. And that's how I'm observing the situation. And because, and then I started to freak out. And this is when I started to ask myself, is me freaking out the problem? Or is the problem the problem? Now, a lot of people would say that stupid baby is the problem. No, it's not. It's me freaking out. I can come up with lots of solutions. Number two, is there any other way to see this? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe the kid has some kind of a football disorder. And finally, um, number three, what's the opportunity here? My opportunity was to just sit, stay put and see what happened. And that lady ended up telling me, as you know, that her husband had just left her. She was out of sorts. She was not able to control the kid. She was not in a great mindset. Right. And we became very good friends as a result of my ability to stay chill. I would have missed out on a really good friend and, and the ability to serve as a, as a shoulder to cry on for somebody who needed me that day. Wow. And I love that story because we do just stop with our emotion, right? Like, this is irritating. I'm trying to travel. Kids shouldn't even be allowed. I hear that all the time. Kids shouldn't even be allowed to fly. How are they going to get there? But yeah, so it's like, it's, yeah. you know, and when we get caught in that emotion, we miss the purpose. Because I feel like everything happens for a reason. Nothing is accidental. Like, so yeah. had you stuck with your emotion, you right, you would have missed out on a really great friend. So That's exactly right. Yeah, I, even though you just verbatimly just said that, but I think that that's just, I feel like that's the problem. You have to get out of you sometime. Well, it's, it's true for everything. It's true even yeah. for solving the feminist issue. Again, yeah. why we have to ask ourselves, how is this serving us? How is this serving us? Well, I mean, it's very good to see that women are going back to 1988 levels in the workforce because now I can actually say, see, I told you it was a systemic issue. And that's great because hopefully a call to arms will follow. Otherwise, everybody gets complacent. Yeah. Right. And I got to think positive. Do you know why? Because the alternative is terrible. To not think positive is to think negative. And to think negative is, I mean, it's so depressing and it doesn't actually get you results. So you're better off just at least trying. And you miss the little good things, though. Like, I don't know if everyone's just looking for this gigantic progress, but what about the small progress? What about the, the, the positive nuggets? There are good things happening in the world. 
Amen. You know, even in 2020, there were, yeah. believe it or not, good things that happened. You know, so um, and and I feel like yes, the pandemic was it 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 rearranged our entire life, right? You know, but there were some things that I grasped from that moment. You know, there were some things about me, like self-reflection and how I think about things, how I prioritize things. Everything that that you that you and I have discussed during this whole episode were some things I had to come into realization of being a workaholic. Why do I not feel good enough? Things like that. Like I didn't have the distraction of being busy. I had to sit down and really, really think like, you know, and self-reflect. I was forced to be with me. You know what I'm saying? So not all things that appear bad are bad. No. In my practice, I always say, if you'll allow me one bad word, pray for a shit storm. <laughs> Moments like this, they make us. Yeah. They, suddenly everything that really matters becomes crystal clear, like a beautiful day. Right. And breath, free breath, and the, the health of our loved ones. And it's very important to stay in that. I reflect on my mortality very often, not because I'm a morbid person, but because I know that I'm very lucky to be here all the time. The fact that sometimes I take a plane and it lands is a miracle. The fact yeah. that I wake up and the cells of my body are working is a miracle. The fact that I have the privilege of flying through the air and notice the kid kicking my seat is a miracle. And so... If you can stay in that deep gratitude and that depreciation, you will be living a much more positive life. And by the way, you're also going to get much more positive results. Yes, because energy. Energy. Yep. Yep. Right. Well, I, um, well, BYK does have a type of question. Um, and if you can describe yourself in one word, what would it be? Ease. Hmm. And why? I used to be really tightly wound and now I'm clear and relaxed most of the time and I think that when people meet me I hope that when people meet me even when I'm talking about topics that make me very animated like today's wonderful conversation I hope they above all feel warm and comfortable like at home that's what ease is about for me I think that's the feeling that you get from real love Nothing is an effort anymore. No need to be a workaholic, Renita. I love you. You you have just been speaking to, to my soul this entire time. <laughs> it's because um, we're the same person. Again, all that VH1. <laughs> so um oh okay, enthusiasm coaching. What do that what what do your services provide? Well, I provide um, mostly executive and personal coaching at an advanced level to corporations. But I do have um, larger group coaching programs that help you to get out of your own stuntedness, your own stuck feeling. I created it to solve the problem I had five, six years ago when I was going through that divorce. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I didn't know how to get out of my own way. So that's really what coaching is for. And what this coaching program is about. Anybody can check it out on KarenLDad.com. By the way, not Karen like the meme. K-E-R-E-N. <laughs> not K-A-R-E-N. And uh, I hope everybody checks out the Coached Podcast. Because I also do the same thing. Which is I just answer people's questions. People have a lot going on right now. 
I don't know if you've heard, but we're drinking too much, we're eating too much, we're suffering. And I think that there's nothing more important than giving people hope and answers. Yeah, most definitely. So, um, and, and where can I find you? On, are you on Instagram? Facebook? That's right. Well, I'm on everything, but the only one I really like is Instagram. <laughs> I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. The one I really like is Instagram. It's Coach Karen. Uh, and that's because I get to share really awesome memes and the occasional cat picture. <laughs> I love the cat pictures. <laughs> I love the cat pictures. I just posted uh, um, something off TikTok where the cat was walking down the runway. Yes, I saw that. And then, and it was like, walk, walk, passion, baby, right? I saw <laughs> like whoever did this is a genius. And, you know, that's an amazing thing to say because so many people talk about how terrible social media is. But you know what? If you just go there and approach it with joy and look for joy, there's right. so much joy there, too. So really, it's always about you and how you're coming to the table. The right. thoughts not thinking you. You are the one who is choosing. Exactly. exactly. Instead of focusing on all the hate and garbage, you can focus on the cat videos. There's <laughs> a ton of them. <laughs> it's so simple. Really. Think about it. Yeah. 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 It's all about perspective and what you can allow. And I always tell people like the serenity prayer kind of make you feel like there's a lot of things within your control, but really you are you, your thoughts, your reactions, anything involving you are the only things that you can actually control. <laughs> and the reason to be your own kind is because you wake up with you, you go to bed with you, you got to be okay with you. That's how you can really start to really be in control is to start to like you. Yes. Like you enough to care about your preferences and to care about demanding a great experience in this one and only life you will ever have. Yes, most definitely. Because um, you can't escape you. That is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. Believe me. I'm just going to leave you at home. I'll be back. And exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Karen, I really, really, really enjoyed this episode. Um and I hope you guys did too. I hope you guys learned some nuggets and learned that you're not an imposter. You are incredible. You are talented. You are full of potential. You are a dynamic person. And it's all because of who you are, you know? And and that is definitely what I grabbed. And I thank you so much for taking, you know, the time to come on our platform. I just thoroughly enjoyed And I was inspired, you know? Um, by the things that you were saying. Um, and until next time, everyone, uh, don't forget to be your own kind and be kind to one another. Bye.